Welcome back to another Stay Woke podcast. This is D. Ray Brinson, and here is the conclusion to the Wakanda Report, Black Panther Review, and Analysis. So that happens. Then on the flip side, we have Claw go ahead and die uh, at the hands of Killmonger. And we're kind of wondering, hey, he went ahead and killed this dude. Why would he go ahead and do that? But I think there's one thing that was pivotal that we're missing from the Claw escape to T'Challa's noticing of the ring. Because uh, yeah. that, that did push the story forward of the relationship and him trying to get the knowledge of how Killmonger um, got it, basically. Yeah. Like, wh- where is this from? And, that- and he's got the heart-shaped herb inside of him. And to be honest, he had his suit on and he got bested yeah. in a situation. He was not prepared for like, okay, this is a different type of military dude. And then he sees the ring. Yeah. So then he then confronts his uncle. His uncle played by Forrest Whitaker that we saw earlier within the movie back in the flashback at the start of the movie in 1992. And he is basically taken over to tending over the heart-shaped herbs to basically just being that uncle that knows everything if you want to talk to him. And T'Challa has a real moment where he says, I am the king now. Because his uncle is not trying to tell him about the fact that whatever happened to his uncle, his uncle that was a war dog in America, the uncle that we talked about was played by Sterling K. Brown. What happened to that? And then they find out that there was a child that was involved and was left there. And then we are immediately able to connect the dots to realize that that is Eric Killmonger and that is his motivation. And that scene was really pivotal, not just because that was like the big one of the big reveals of the film, but also that that was probably the most stark uh, theme of really touching on uh, African-American and African relations. Oh, and if you're if you're African, West African specifically and stuff, because uh, uh, the moment the movie was done, I got FaceTime by one of my really good friends that's Cameroonian. And she was just all like, you know, Black Panther, it was Akata versus African. And if anyone knows, Akata is another form. It's a term used by West Africans to go ahead and describe African-Americans. And it can sometimes be deemed as a derogatory term. So you had now it being pulled in with the movie with the separation between Africans and African-Americans. And how would this play out? And I thought that was brilliant. What did y'all think about that? I thought it was brilliant because... um and again, it took me back to just my experiences as well as um, some things that I heard of Brian Cougar talking about. And as an African-American man, uh, especially um, I felt like when I was younger, I didn't notice it as much. Um, as I older I got, I didn't start to notice it more because when I was younger, my grandmother was very heavy in giving me about African cultures, African um, traditions that uh, that she knew about that, you know, that that she felt I should know about. So I felt a strong connection to Africa, but I, I never saw it as, you know, Africa versus African-American, that kind of idea. I didn't start to feel that until I started getting older. Um, and I realized that I felt like I didn't have a connection to Africa. I didn't feel that strong, that bond, that uh, that just, um, just that connection. And this movie highlights that and brings it, 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 it puts it straight in your face. And is um, something that Ryan Coogler talked about on the, again, referring back to that High 97 interview of how he felt that same way until he went to Africa. And he saw a lot of the traditions and um, cultural things that they do, we do without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. 
And and that made him feel like, you know, I don't have a disconnect to Africa. It's just I don't realize the connections that I do have. Like the some of the traditions that we do have, like the the way that he experienced um, a, a special dinner out there. He was like, this is how our barbecues are. The older men are in one section. The younger kids are in another section. The women are talking over in another section. The teenage kids are over here mingling in another section. He's like, this is what I see at barbecues. So like we do have that connection. We just don't realize it. And then a, another story that he brought up uh, about that trip that I felt was uh, so so intriguing was uh, he was like, watermelon out there is like it's it's a treasured source of of nutrients and they don't see it as but out here like you like even i felt it at a barbecue if you had a barbecue that's not all black and you see watermelon you're like listening to eat it around white exactly (laughs) you're like like if i go eat that they gonna so you're like i really want some but i'm gonna just keep it moving but he like he told that to a, a, a African woman out there, and she's like, "Why would you not want to eat watermelon? Is you know, it has the the the, the uh, nutrients Ruffage, you need, the nutrients, the everything. you need, makes you feel full. The seeds are precious. Yeah, like 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 the but the, the just that idea of like you know, she's looking at him like you're weird. Like, why would you? Who cares what they think? Like, this is good for you. <laughs> but the way that we're thinking, like, I just thought this movie was excellent in addressing that issue, but also allowing the people that might have felt like I explained that I felt feel more comfortable in that, you know, we do have a connection. Yeah. And I think uh, exactly to your point, one of the things Ryan Cougar was trying to do and did in this film was get across out, not just that hope, but also exposing the lie of white supremacy and the idea that there can never be a connection again between Africans and African-Americans, because the whole idea was to completely sever that bond in slavery, um, mental, mental slavery, chattel slavery, physical slavery, physically breaking apart the black family in every shape and, and, and form. And this was a way of kind of a nod to saying like, Hey, we're actually much closer than you think. Yeah. I mean, literally after, the movie came out just this past afternoon. I was getting into an argument with brother just for the fact, you know, he came through mentioning and talking about, yeah, but you do know that Africans went ahead and sold other Africans that then ended up becoming slaves. And I'm like, first off, yes, true. At the same time, no one knew what chattel slavery in America was going to go ahead and be. It was the same degree of slaves that existed like in serfdom in like Russia, if that was the case for things. But more importantly, I'm like, why now is yo like ass trying to go ahead and be so damn divisive like out here and stuff? Because as a result, it's like, that's what the film was supposed to go ahead and bring together. It's like, granted, I happen to be an African American. My father's Nigerian. My mother is African-American. I constantly have to rally against Africans that don't understand because it was not taught. Like, they know a little something about Martin Luther King, very little about Malcolm X, civil rights movement. They're just all like, hey, there's opportunity in America. How come, like, all of our brothers and sisters there aren't being successful? Like, we would love to go ahead and be there. On the flip side, you have African-Americans in the U.S. where it's just like, oh, how come, like, these African nations are, like, corrupt and stuff? And, like, how come they're not prospering more over there? Or how come they don't love us? Like, there's such a disconnection that exists between both. And I constantly, on a daily struggle, try to go ahead and fight and figure out how to go ahead and bring the two together. And I felt that's what I got with Ryan Coogler being able to go ahead and do this and with there being a 
high amount of Africans on the project that they knew. Like, I, I'm sure there were probably scenes and stuff where they were just like, maybe if we rewrite this a little bit, like this is the thought process and everything behind it. Um, so it was brilliant. I was going to jump in real quick. And, and uh, one of white people's favorite things to moan and bitch about is how come black people in America aren't over the fact that slavery was abolished mm. uh, in, at the end of the 19th century. And it's like, even... They don't, they don't preach in this film. They only touch on it lightly. Kugler only touches on it lightly. But the crime of removing someone from their home and forcing them to be somewhere else, we're, it, no, we're not, we're not done paying for that. We're not done seeing the effects of it. We're not done seeing the profound cultural devastation created by the act of kidnapping people from one place and installing them somewhere else and then insisting that it's like you could just really feel the tension and the 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 heartbreak of killmonger doesn't belong he doesn't belong in africa and he doesn't belong in oakland because because it would split it's separated he's 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 not home either place he has no home and i it really drove it home in a in a way i haven't really seen in a in a film story before and i think that's what makes killmonger so uh the ability to resonate with so many and that's why as we talked about on uh, i think it was uh episode two, episode two um where we talked about killmonger that he's really not the the villain because like I said, during those times where I was seeing a disconnect to Africa, as as a black man, you never feel com- I, well. I, at least I've never felt comfortable in America. Period. Just because of institutional racism, all the things that we've talked about on several podcasts uh, that we talked about on here as well is that the fact that you don't feel home here. So you resonate with Kamunga because you're like, I don't feel like I belong in America, but I don't feel like I have a connect to Africa. Like where the hell do I, do I fit in? And that lack of connection to something can manifest itself in different ways. And as we see in Eric Killamonger, a sense of revenge and a sense of rage, of, of rage and anger um, that in, in some cases cannot be squashed, cannot be extinguished because of, of, of the, the time. The, as long as he's been in America, that that those feelings have festered for so long that you can't really necessarily get over those. Yeah. One of the best things that you can do in a superhero film is have uh, the villain be more interesting than the actual superhero, and that's what this film did. Yeah, and and, and it makes the and we talked about that in episode two, where it's like in a way that also shows how great of a hero T'Challa is. Uh, we we talked about the fact that it's like. You know, Iron Man, until Marvel just decided Iron Man is going to be a person and they have an amazing actor, you know what I'm saying, in Robert Downey Jr. playing him, every hero is judged by who the villain is. Batman's so amazing because the hero is the opposite. They're they're the mirror image. You got the Joker. That's a foil. Iron Man sucked because this person's the Mandarin, who's a, a green dude with a big head and a bunch of rings like on his fingers. So that's why Iron Man 2 wasn't very good, why Iron Man 3 wasn't very good. But with this movie, with T'Challa, you had a villain that's a mirror image of him. And in a way, for the fact that this is a movie that was designed on some fubu for us, by us type shit, you realize that it's like, okay, not only is Killmonger not the villain, he, depending, and I said in episode two, depending on your level of politics and how you define yourself as a black person, he's your hero. Hashtag Killmonger was right. Yeah, hashtag Killmonger was right. 
And I and I, I said that months ago that I felt depending on who was he was gonna be your hero. They literally had to add him like killing people like explicitly to like drive the point home that he was a villain. Because oh, yeah. once he started talking, I was sitting there like, you know, you made some great points. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, you, hey, brother, you're right. <laughs> like it was like one of them things where somebody's telling some truth in the barber shop, and you're just like. Damn. Yeah, especially so right. yeah, yeah. That's that scene in the th- the throne room where he's like, "We have the technology, we have the resources, we already have our war dogs out there. We have the." And he and, said, "I have the blueprint yep. from the white man on how to go ahead and make this work. Yep. I have seen them go ahead and divide and conquer. I know all of their tricks." Also, yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't help but think about. They also don't touch on this because this movie's really it's it's actually very quite subtle um, and artful about this stuff. But um, you know, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said if you are if you have no action and no and are silent in a situation of oppression, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. And mm-hmm. Killmonger's calling out Wakanda for inaction in the face of people of color, especially black people, being oppressed all over the world and everywhere that is not Wakanda. Yeah. And they again they don't they don't lay that out, but that the commentary is there in yeah. the way Killmonger. So and especially how he says we we are in we are in the position to help. We yeah. have the ability. Mm-hmm. It's different if you don't have the ability and you just want to help, but you have the ability to do it and you're choosing to choose turn turn a blind eye and a deaf ear. There's definitely an element when you're watching uh Killmonger's character that particularly that I, I picked up on that he was essentially like the like a recreation or or a newer version of in some ways the main character from the spook who sat at the door. Oh, he's one of my favorite movies so, and books by mm, Sam Greenlee. Yeah. So he's he's literally learning all the tricks and trade and and thinking, you know, on one hand, um, they think that he's completely loyal to the US and and all these things because he's done such a good job at killing. Or as Ever Ross says, he's one of our guys. Yes, he's and one, he's one of ours. Yeah. And <laughs> The whole time he's playing the long game, he's been playing the long game the whole time. He's had an agenda since he was a child he said, of I getting prepared back for home. this my whole life. Right, playing chess and they playing checkers. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's what it personified to me. It's like wow, he really got in there and did everything he was supposed to do. Everything, yeah, to learn and then bring that back with the ultimate amount of resources. Yeah. So so moving on with the story, we go ahead and we have uh, him kill. Uh, Ulysses S. Claw, Killmonger kills Ulysses S. Claw, shows up to uh, basically one of the head military leaders and one of the leaders of the tribe, and is like, hey, boom, here is Killmonger. And, and that's he's, his passport into Wakanda. And that's his passport in Wakanda, <laughs> because this leader, his whole thing that he was telling T'Challa was, I had suffered for forever because my father was killed by Claw, and I wanted your dad to get justice for me. He didn't do it. You're going to get it for me. T'Challa then came back with a white man from America rather than coming back with Claw. So his credibility was ruined, and boom. All of a sudden, you go ahead and you have his sister, you have Okoye, you have everybody saying, hey, there's this random, like, American black dude. We don't know if he's Wakandan or he's showing up. He's in the throne room, brother. You need to be here. So he shows up to the throne room. He meets, you know, uh, T'Challa, or T'Challa ends up meeting uh, Killmonger. They kind of have, like, an exchange. He's sizing him up. Killmonger shows no type of, like, back down whatsoever. Um, and then it's finally revealed. He is Njoku. He is Sterling K. Brown's son from earlier. That happened when he was playing basketball. 
he happens to go ahead and be a prince. He has the royal bloodline and he challenges the Black Panther and has, to me, what should be on a t-shirt. It will be on a t-shirt for me if I have to go ahead and make it by hook or by crook. One of the best lines of the entire movie because they're shocked when he says, I want the throne. You got Ramonda, who is played by the beautiful Angela Bassett, scoffing like, how dare you? And this is on some, like, as we talked about in the second episode, too, with the fact that Killmonger comes from more of a school of thought of being more of a separatist, while T'Challa comes from a school of thought of trying to buy in and be more like a W.E. Du Bois in comparison to going ahead and having that. So as a result, with their two heads clashing, Ramonda's just like, he's not worthy of being a part of the crown. He happens to go ahead and be an outsider. Who even are you? And then when he lets it known that he has the royal bloodline and you have the other folks being like, what? And then he just says the classic line of, hey, auntie. And, it, you know, it, it was so Oakland yeah. from the hey, auntie. But then it was also so African because if you are African, one thing that's just always funny is you have a million aunties and uncles. Because that is how, from a sign of respect, that you address everybody within the community. Everyone is auntie yeah. that is older than you. They are anybody auntie and they are uncle. So for him coming through and just being like, hey, auntie, showing her the respect of knowing that she's auntie, but then disrespecting her with just like having the flavor that he had in his voice. It was like from the deep east. It was all like, bruh, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so what did y'all think about that scene? And I just want to touch on that as well. That brings up back what I was talking about, about that connection to Africa that we don't, that we think we don't have. Just like you said, that's an African tradition or African uh, part of the culture. We do that here. Like I, like I didn't know that was African. Like th there's things yeah. that we do all the time that we don't realize is tied to Africa or tied to our ancestors that we do on a daily basis, but that's our connection. And we have to start doing the research behind that and understand like movies like this. That's the great thing about it is they, those young kids that are in that situation, they might not have that aspect when they get to high school or college. They won't have that disconnect because they get those things that we're talking about now. Like, yes, Oh, this is connected to that. Yeah. This is so like, like I said, like I have, I have an uncle Jesse. He's not my uncle, but he's, he's, I've known him since I've been a little kid. He's older that he's going to be all <laughs> black folks in America. Got cousins exactly. that ain't cousins. And cousins that ain't cousins. That's the same if, thing if you've been him. friends long enough and that just becomes your cousin. You that's your cousin. That. Exactly. And but, that's why, but that's, that's my back. moniker. That's why I'm cousin Benji. I'm your favorite cousin's cousin. At some, at one point, I'm related to you in some type of way. I'm African and I'm African American. We cousins in some type of way. And so I think that was important. Um, and like you said, that, that smart aleck, that that uh, cockiness of how he said "Hey, Auntie" was it was so Oakland. It was so, it was it was it was a hilarious little twist, and and Michael B. Jordan captured that very nicely, and that's that's just uh, a credit to his acting ability. And I I liked um, I like this small detail of uh, at some point T'Challa has has both rings on his hand: the ring he's wearing from his father, and then the ring that. Um, like Killmonger brought yeah, to him. yeah, yeah. Kill Killmonger lets him lets him have it, and he has them both in his hand. The chain is kind of draped between, and um, the we they they did a little callback to it, and you can see it in, in Civil War as well. He he's he he's handling the ring, and um, you can really see. Like it's it's kind of Shakespeare actually this moment where he's 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 really he's he's still angry with his father. He thinks his father was wrong. Um, he even though even though the room is quite negative toward 
toward Killmonger's appearance. Like he's, you can kind of see him making up his mind. Like he's, he thinks it's right to seriously entertain Killmonger's claim to the throne, and he ends up oh, doing that exactly. And that's one of the things about the Black Panther that you will see throughout is T'Challa is an awesome superhero at the Black Panther at having his suit on, having his diplomacy and and moving in and becoming teammates and all these things he is in my opinion a terrible king and um and and he already just is from the fact that he's a rookie because as we move on here with going in with the storyline he had no business no business at all deciding to go ahead and take on the challenge from killmonger if his ass was smart he would have gone ahead and put him to the dungeons on some Game of Thrones type stuff. Because as we know, you could go ahead and challenge for the throne all day long. You could be the legitimate person for the throne. My favorite character in Game of Thrones is Stannis Baratheon. <laughs> Basically, Killmonger was a Stannis Baratheon. He has a right to go ahead and say it. But just because you have a right, don't make it right because you're the king. He should have sent that brother to the dungeons. But instead, he said, oh, I've already accepted your challenge. <laughs> and at that point, I said, oh, you probably gonna get your ass whooped because this brother been waiting for this fight. <laughs> Two things that I, I think were important about that scene. One is that touches to your point, Elena, is uh, the fact of that you can see him contemplating it because Killmonger keeps on asking him the question repeatedly. Ask me who I am, and he right. won't. He will not ask him the question because he again he already knows the answer, but he knows if he if he asks him that question, he's going to answer it, and it's going to be a public display. Which and, is why, in my opinion, his father left him there. This is a question. Because his, be his father, in my opinion, left Killmonger there because he just got done murdering his brother. And to the same degree that you have the tribe with the lead character played by uh, Daniel Kluma from uh, Get Out, where he's like a watchdog type guy that's ready to go ahead and find a battle. There were probably people in Wakanda that said, hey, Maybe we should be a little bit more involved in what's going on with black Americans in the United States of America. And he would have led to a possible coup in his country if he came back and said, yeah, so I sent my brother on a mission. Um, he was doing good for trying to go ahead and help out black Americans. And I didn't agree with it. And he was upset that I sent a spy on him and I murdered him in cold blood. And I left the prince, his son, there to go ahead and rot in America. There probably would have been a little bit of upset and upheaval, which we saw just from the very start. Almost every year that they have the challenge, the Jabari tribe is ready to challenge. Yeah, every so time. what happened if you go ahead and then you take Columba's tribe, and they're then now siding also, and you got them in the Jabari tribe, you get one over. There's only five tribes within Wakanda. If three are against the other two, now you're in trouble. It's the insurrection. And there's one of the things about that, um, just what we saw about Wakanda, uh, another thing that you can just point out, it's a symbol of black totality. So you have the establishment is black or African. Your enemies also are African, black, from mm -hmm. this, within, your, within your nation. You know, and so you, you see that, you know, essentially it's, it's kind of like a, you know, a coup that happens, you know, but... Like on a smaller scale, it's its own kind of mini civil war in a way. Yeah, and you just get you just kind of get to see that and those interpolitics between uh, different different parts of the nation. 
you know, yeah. so, you know, and just kind of mentioning seeing how those dynamics play out. Um, I thought that was just really interesting of how, uh, you know, they talked about, oh, why we decided as you as uh, I believe when you mentioned earlier, um, almost like uh, like the mountainous tribe being like Luddites, I believe you said something like that. Yeah, yeah that's what Elena yeah. was talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and you see it, too, and uh, you touch on something that's very interesting, Spencer, which hopefully they'll maybe bring it up in the second Black Panther movie or the third, is there's also other fictional Black African nations within side of uh, Marvel, and one of them is uh, entitled Niganda. And Niganda is basically the, like, rival version. If the Eagles hate the Giants, if the Bears hate the Packers, or whatever, Nigandans cannot stand Wakandans. And so... You you have that towards like interesting where I we talked about a little bit in the first episode of our Wakanda report where it's just like be honest black Africans are probably or uh, black African Americans would probably hate Wakandans if they knew about them because it's like they have all this technology how come you ain't helping us you're not doing and then think about that if Killmonger's upset think about the Kenyans the Ugandans the Ethiopians. All the people that are surrounding them right there. We're not even asking you to go ahead and travel across and defeat the alleged most powerful nation in all of the world. We're just asking you to go ahead and defend us against the colonialism that is destroying and tearing up our own nation. And you won't even expand with inside of your own region. Every nation has decided to go ahead and some point and want to expand and take over. That's how we got our 50th state. We said, damn. Them some nice pineapples and bananas and everything you got there. And the Dole Banana Company said, hey, America, they're kicking us out. And they said, we're going to have ships there by tomorrow, buddy. And there we got the 50th state of America. Every nation has decided at some point that they wanted to expand, but not Wakanda. To its benefit and to some people, the detriment of maybe not Wakanda, but the detriment of the rest of the diaspora that exists around them. So uh, that that's very interesting. So we have that happen. We have the scene. They get ready. They go to Warrior Falls. Like I say, Injaka. He goes ahead. He pulls everything off. He shows the scarification uh, scales that he has on himself. One for every kill, which is something that actually exists right now with inside of some of the gangs, occults that exist within West Africa, especially areas like Lagos, Nigeria, where there are people that are committing murders and they are using scarification just like those bumps to go ahead and show that. So that was like a real thing that Ryan Coogler was trying to display. And they have the battle. And um, Killmonger is not M'Baku. <laughs> he puts it on T'Challa. He slashes him right around his inner thigh, immediately stops his mobility, cuts him around the arm, stabs him right through. He's getting ready to put the killing blow on him. And then Forrest Whitaker rolls through his uncle with the lazy eye. And he stops, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, his nephew from being murdered and... Uh, Killmonger goes ahead and kills his character and then makes a mistake. Should have just gone ahead and killed uh, the king in cold blood, but he wants to be flashy because that's who he is. He's from the town and he picks this man up and he tosses him over Warrior Falls and T'Challa is no more to the disdain and the heartbreak of his stepmother, Ramonda, his love, Nikita, his sister, Shuri, and to some of the Dora Milaje that are there. What was y'all reaction when y'all saw that ass whooping? You know, I I, I figured that was going to happen as soon as Killmonger said, I've been 
waiting and training my whole life for this. I'm like, oh, he he's not for play play at all. <laughs> he is, as, as you put already, like, yeah, he he can't get business, and particularly like for a superhero film, if we've already established that you know T'Challa is basically like Iron Man, James Bond, um, Batman, all these other you know different elements and, and all this crazy fighting force, whatever. There's going to be something that takes him out. Now, once we found out, once Killmonger got rid of Claw, you know, which is another surprise, you know, of him just immediately kind of, you know, turning on him, um, or seemingly saying, like, he had, again, he already had this full mission in plan. It's, like, kind of with or without um, Claw. He's just waiting to get close enough. Yeah, that long game again. That long game, playing that long game. He steps into the situation, and as we see it, he immediately knowing how he's going to take apart the team because he's been doing it and he's ready for that. And as I and you see this, I'm like the superhero is going to have to have a, a falling point. So we're going through this this next act, and I'm thinking, okay, something's going to have to take him out. Mm-hmm. And the the best part about it was because T'Challa is out of a bunch of these scenes now this leaves all the room to just reinforce and you really get to see how black women are elevated once again as they take over all the main roles and most of the screen time oh yeah and that that reminded me of after t'challa's defeat the presence of mind in nikita she's heartbroken it's a coup you better get your ass out of there that's what i'm saying but but her presence of mind (laughs) Uh to say Ramonda, let's go. Shuri, let's go. We ain't got time no more. We'll, we'll mourn later. They gonna kill us if you don't come on. Let's go. Very to me. That very was once again. I just so powerful of how of how Thrones. powerful she was. That I just another aspect of how powerful. The, it made, the woman made me was think there. of Game of Thrones. The moment Ned Hart starts yeah, head right. comes off in that first episode. The immediate thing. Get Ari out of there. Get the Give him, you got to get out. When Joffrey went ahead and died and they were going to go ahead and accuse Sansa, get her ass out of here. Because when a change of power occurs like that, either you will be imprisoned and used as a tool of power or you will be murdered to be made as a statement. That's simple as that. What were you going to say, Alan? Oh, I was going to I was going to jump in there. And um, he said he. He's uh he's beating the shit out of T'Challa and he keeps saying, "Is this your king?" He's mm. looking he's looking up. He's looking at, at he's addressing the entire audience, and the words are humiliating, right? They're like, he's pouring this humiliation down on T'Challa, but like he's he's doing it to make a a point. Like how am I gonna how am I gonna hang on to this th- this crown that I'm about to take? They have to be they have to be terrified of me. Long game. Yeah, like they like I I need them to be in fear of me and remember this this fight. Like I like not only do I have to beat this beat this man like he's he 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 must be unfit to rule. So I yeah. will make that point in the midst of the fight. And then like you said the speed by which the royal family has to escape. Like the the the, the pre-existent royal family has to GTFO like immediately um cuz he he's so he's so powerfully dangerous and like you he like he would, he would continue to make the point. He would make whatever point he needed to make, including taking out the entire royal family. So, like, yeah, she read that very, very yeah. At and, speed. and also, too, one of the reasons why I'm like, I almost think there would have been a little bit more even like resistance had Mbaku won his battle because of how strenuous things have been with the Jabari tribe. But Njoku, Killmonger. He's of the royal bloodline. He was he was a prince. He is a cousin of so it's like as much as it happened, it was like it was a shock. It didn't take long for his auntie to roll through and just go ahead and put that necklace on him because she was like, Well, just like as bad as it is, 
in America, regardless if you're a fan of one person running for president, you're a fan of the other. The biggest thing that we have in our nation is the peaceful transition of power. Yes. And it was just like, all right, well, tradition. And and that's yeah, th- that was I think that was pivotal of the acceptance of the tradition, regardless if it's not in your favor. I thought was very interesting, especially um how that transition takes place through violence. Like it's taking place through violence that you might expect that if you don't agree with it, you would react as the same way that your the challenge was accepted through violence. But they're like, No, that's it was what was the what was it what did they say? Was it fair? Yep. Yeah, All right. Fair. And we just and, and keep it moving. The the guard the, sorry, what's the term Dore? Dora Melage. Yeah. So they they are like it was it was ritual combat. Like that is the way. That is the way that a new person takes power. Yeah. And so if if I'm lo- if if we're loyal to the to the throne of Wakanda, we're loyal to this person. And and you're talking about Okoye there, so moving on with the story, we get that moment where we're like, what's going on? Okoye and Nikita have this awesome scene where they're talking with each other and Nikita's just like, what do we got to do? What do we got to do to topple them? And Okoye, to me, shows a sign, which I thought this was a very feminist quality to go ahead and show that is not usually displayed. She's a militaristic person, is Okoye, and she's powerful. And one thing that oftentimes is rooted with inside of the society of patriarchy and sexism is women are emotional. It was something that, you know, plagued a Hillary Clinton trying to go ahead and run for office is, do we want to go ahead and trust a woman that's going to go ahead and have the opportunity to push the button as if we don't have crazy people before they've had chances to push the button. But the fact that she's too emotional, Okoye kept all emotions in check and basically said to Nikita, I'm loyal to the throne because I took my oath. And I take that seriously. And I take it seriously. I I love T'Challa too. I, she shed a tear when he went down the fall. But she shed a tear. But at the same time, she sucked it up and realized, I can be just as tough as anyone else. And from a story standpoint with the structure, it was she can be as tough as any of the men that we have seen in the history of movies that happen to go ahead and show militaristic characters where regardless of the circumstance, I will uphold my duty. And I thought that was a very passionate and powerful scene. Yeah, I have a job to do. And regardless of the circumstances, I'm going to do my job. And I, I agree with you. I thought to me that scene uh, during during the movie, it was it was very poignant and it was very it was very real and it was very um it had a lot of depth to it um, because it had two there was no males in that scene it was two strong female characters showing different sides of strength of emotional strength of 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 mental strength um, in different ways and i thought it was so uh i just thought it was it was very a strong scene oh i was just going to jump in and say and i like that there are two sides of this profound conflict but they actually have the same goal they both want to serve Wakanda Mm -hmm. and their their approach is completely different and watching them work it out and then like because Okoya lets them leave because that's like another like so there's a there's like a little nuance there like she she lets them get away even though uh her king her new king Killmonger probably wants their heads so like so like that is there so she'll go that far but she had a kind of had a loophole with that because he didn't make the order so so no no not even not even he didn't make the order even if he didn't make the order 
It would have been her job to go hold him. He was not king yet. Mm. To the same degree that our own current POTUS had to go ahead and make it there in the long ride and swear oh, on the oath. It, you have to, I don't think it's recorded anywhere in the comics, but it is its own rite of passage. You have to be able to survive taking the heart-shaped herb, being buried, going to the nether realm, and coming back. You know, like, in the comics, there have, like, in the comics, um, Killmonger dies. That's like his he's, he's not He's not able, because he's not actually from the royal bloodline in the comics, he's not able to take the heart-shaped herb. It doesn't agree with his body, and he ends up dying as a result of it. So... I think that was the leeway that Okoye had where it was just like, okay, the transition of power is not fully complete until he comes up out that dirt. And I had a quick question. I want to go back to that, uh, the the scene where Killmonger and T'Challa fight. And I thought it might have been a, a, a plot hole or a plot deviation is that they didn't have the warriors surround and enclose it. But was it that because it because the full. same tribe? They, they, well, no, they talked about it. Remember initially, what's his name said? A lot of that stuff's for show. Oh. They're not, they're no, not no, going to no, go no. ahead. So, yeah. so uh, the river uh, chief said it, the one with the lip disc, where he said, this will take upwards to two weeks for us to get this back together. Oh, and he was so that's like, why I was like, no, just skip all like, that. Uh, skip all that. Gotcha. I don't need the whole okay. nation to see me They're doing the ass. courthouse wedding version of gotcha. the monarchy exactly. challenge. <laughs> yeah. The, the Vegas wedding? <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So, so that's what took place. So then the transition power. So then, to me, one of the most powerful scenes in the entire movie. In Joku, Killmonger, he takes the heart-shaped herb. He goes under. He is assuming the man to go ahead and become king. He goes to the, the, the spiritual astral plane of where the kings are supposed to be. But he goes back to the apartment. His father is stuck in purgatory. He's visiting Oakland again. He's visiting. Yeah, he's visiting Oakland. Even though he became king, he didn't get the opportunity to go ahead and be amongst Basque and be amongst all of the prior kings. He has to go ahead and go to Oakland. He has to go to the apartment where his father is stuck in purgatory, and they have this awesome scene. And, go ahead. Yeah, because T'Chaka never let him be Wakandan. T'Chaka stole that from him by leaving him behind. Yeah, he he stole his birthright like Esau, and um, go ahead. Yeah, but that just that just shows like the 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 ramifications of that decision that T'Challa made or T'Chaka made, and that's why I think it resonated with T'Challa so much. That's why he was so hurt. You don't realize how, in essence, like how evil that action that you didn't think was that you were doing a greater good, how like how devastating that changed this this person's whole life. And not even his whole life, his experience of the afterlife and his father's afterlife. Yeah. Like and, that is And something I just thought about. That's amazing. There's period. another reason why he was in Oakland and why he was in the apartment. Actually, as I think now, it wasn't just because he's African American and, you know, he's half and half and you know, doesn't have the ability. The other reason was T'Challa wasn't dead. So had T'Challa actually been dead, maybe he meets his father inside of the Valley of the Kings, so to speak. And then he would see T'Challa and T'Challa would probably be salty as hell. You know what I'm saying? Because he's dead, but T'Challa wasn't dead yet. So in a way, that's, I think, another reason why the stopping point happened right there in the apartment. What do you think about that, Spencer? He also... 
I noticed too when he was at when he was talking with his father, um, and they kept kind of going in between him uh, being a, an adult and being a child. One of the one of the most pivotal scenes to me was when he was talking as a child, and his father asked him, "He's like, what? Well, you're not crying?" And he his he the child he shrugs, everyone dies, and that I felt like was a specific commentary on not just kind of the sense of hopelessness and um kind of like detrimental everybody dies around here you're right and that's it was a commentary on oakland i felt like that was really a commentary yeah. on oakland that he added in there good and, observation yeah and it was just like wow like he he from and uh, not even just a commentary on oakland he had internalized that already at a young age because of all the stuff you're seeing so that was that that kind of hit on my kind of two cylinders for me yeah and that reminds me of uh there's a wale song from uh the album about nothing with J. Cole and it's uh the the chorus repeatedly says hopeless. I'm feeling hopeless. And that kind of idea of like at the point of there are a lot especially a lot of black youth that don't get to see positive role models, that don't get to see T'Challa's, Black Panthers, things that they can aspire to, doctors, lawyers, uh teachers, whatever it is, to aspire to try to move on past then, you know, than just the norm that feeling of hopelessness that regardless of what i do i'm gonna be held back anyways like so at the end of the day there is that 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 emotional barrier that especially as black men we tend to put up uh, over masculinity that it touches on that too as well to me of of, again of not crying as well that idea of like no i'm I'm a man i'm not gonna cry plus uh shout, shout out again to the editors because the child is not crying we cut to the father sterling k brown we cut back to adult my my yeah michael b jordan and the the tear is there he doesn't start crying he was crying like it that i don't it was just like this this profound i didn't i don't even know i'm grieving i'm so separated from my grief i don't even know that i'm grieving because like it's just it's a connected the voice is connected across those cuts but that's how the actions of 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 people even all races, you know, go through devastation, the death of a parent or something like that. And then the kid acts out. Uh, they mm-hmm. were straight A students and then they become C students. They're acting out. And it's that same idea of they're grieving. They don't realize that they're grieving. Yeah. That, that's how they're working at it. And the same thing in, in his situation. And I, that is that is profound. And I, again, that speaks to me. It speaks to the um, directing of Ryan Coogler because how that was shot. Yeah. Because like you said, that what we just talked about, they didn't really express that verbally. That he that's how he was grieving, but we got that all through the way it was shot. Yeah. And I think that's just and amazing. shout out to him being a writer too, because I yeah. think if he wrote uh parts and chunks of the script and stuff, like a lot of that is um in the writing. Uh, sorry, what one more quick point off of that that uh going back to when um T'Challa visits the ancestral plane, like it's this, sort of the same thing. What it what is what does he need to see? He's seeing his father too. Like the same, the same yeah. sort of. It was a mirror kind of, but like this hopeless, sad, um, isolated abandonment story to, as opposed to T'Challa's experience with his father, which was very joyful. And yeah. and the ultimate thing that I took away from the scene beyond you know the the tears and and all those things was the knowledge. Uh, if Disney's smart, <laughs> if you're listening to this, which you probably are because you you know. Are one of those folks that like can hear and listen to everything Disney because you're probably going to end up buying Apple at some point. 
uh, or actually Apple's going to end up buying Disney, uh, is the book. The book that his father, young Killmonger, goes in and he pulls back the panels and stuff and he pulls it out and there's a book. And then you see that there are words and behind the words then happen to go ahead and be writings. And basically, he left his son maps. He left him the language to learn. He left him all these things. I'm Nigerian. My father never taught me the language. Now at age in my 30s, I'm like, damn, like I'm upset with my father for not teaching me the language. Like I have a closer connection than most to understanding my history. I know exactly where my great, great, great grandfather was from. Like I understand all these things. Like I'm fortunate and blessed and privileged. I, I don't have to go to Ancestry.com. I just have to go ahead and ask my dad. But I didn't get a chance to learn the language. You see that Killmonger gets all those things. So it's like similar to how people are talking about from a cosplay standpoint. We have folks dressing up for Black Panther to the same degree that people are dressing up for uh, Lord of the Rings. Dressing up for uh, all these other type of like shows. Game of Thrones. Like all this type of cosplay. And one of the things that was special about Lord of the Rings was you had the elfin language was written down and all these things and maps and stuff. A Wakandan book needs to come out that not only has all of the maps, all of the different tribes and information, all these things that George R. R. Martin has made all this loot off of. Ryan Coogler or whoever was the main writer behind things, write this because create a Wakandan language. I promise you, if you create a Wakandan language, there will be at least a thousand people in the first two years of that book coming out that will learn that language that needs to happen and it's kind of interesting you also mentioned Lord of the Rings specifically because there's two characters it's basically the two only other like white supporting characters in there Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis that's they were really big in Lord of the Rings exactly both of them yeah I think I saw on Twitter someone said they're the Tolkien white guys yeah the Tolkien white guys I mean they had to be there that's awesome Um, so uh, progressing the storyline, we now then have T'Challa is defeated. Uh, the heart-shaped herb, he comes out. Killmonger says, burn it all. Burn it all down. That's where we get that scene that we see inside of the trailers where I was like, I didn't know he was burning. It was a throne room or whatever. He's burning the synthetic herb. Hopefully, or luckily, Nikita comes through. She steals the heart-shaped herb. She's trying to figure it out. We get a little bit of a tease that's cool where Romanda is basically like, hey, you should go ahead and take it, Nikita. And she's like, what? No, I'm a spy. I shouldn't go ahead and take it. But we know that later on in the comic, Shuri ends up becoming the Black Panther herself because once again, like we said, this is a mantle, so it knows no type of gender whatsoever. So then they are going up to try to deliver this to M'Baku part of the Jabari tribe because they're like, hey, he damn near like whooped, you know, my brother, my son's ass like already. So if he got close, if he gets the heart shaped herb, then he could maybe do some damage. So he's sitting there and Baku is high and mighty. And oh, for a second here, can we talk about how awesome the throne room that Mbaku has and the Jabari it's tribe so and the way that was designed? Like, what did y'all think about that? I love how they had uh, the gorilla holding up the part where... Yeah, the the gorilla is basically the pillar that's holding up, similar to when you look at Avengers Tower and they have the um, kind of uh, deck or whatever for their like helicarrier and you see that. Yeah, I, I like that aspect because I thought it was 
it was the exact opposite of the panther. Uh, when you go into Wakanda, the panther is the arch above it where the ape is holding it up. Um, I just thought that that dichotomy between the two, I thought that was interesting. But uh, just just a, um, from a visual standpoint, it was just amazing the depth that they added with um, the I believe there were trees hanging um making those rows i thought yeah, that trees hanging and yeah, you got snow so, too and we, so much we yeah. got snow too in africa we got everything in africa we got snow i, I think we got to talk about literally the best scene that's probably going to be mean and, and everything <laughs> is mbaku shutting down martin freeman's character everett ross as soon as he goes to speak that is, I, I promise you, like the entire theater just like erupted for that because that, oh yeah, that was another. It was a joke, but it was also once again that social commentary right there. It was, it was you don't speak, <laughs> <laughs> you don't speak, and going back, we forgot it. That was a key line, and then also, oh my God, Martin Freeman waking up after feeling like he was paralyzed, realizing Wakanda oh, yeah. magic and tech <laughs> yeah. saves him, him rolling up on Shuri, and Shuri just being like, oh, my gosh, colonizer, don't do, walk up on me like that. And I was like, okay, this is definitely going to be the new term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like people are using for white folks are just like, well, these damn colonizers today, they got me fucked up at work. <laughs> so that was, um, that was awesome. Uh, yeah, M'Baku saying that, but then... Um, and we had talked about this a little bit off air. It was awesome because Mbaku, Winston Duke, he oh he he stole the show in my opinion because in that scene he said those lines inside of three parts beautifully. He shut down Ever K. Ross by basically like, you don't talk. You don't go ahead and do those type of things. Then in the second part, he threatened him with basically saying, I'll go ahead and feed you to my children. So then he went ahead and he reinforced this fear that exists with inside of Africans with the whole cannibalism savagery. and the otherism, the savagery. We don't know what's going on. And then immediately with showing how good of an actor he is, boom, he goes ahead and he turns the dime and he starts laughing and he's just a joke and he's like, "Oh, we're vegetarians." And it's Got like, God. But, but, I'm like, so but good. That shows you also the intelligence of like because again, the the depiction of Africans is like you said savagery. Uh we they assume that Africans are not smart, that we're all, all those negative stereotypes that you can think of. And then he's making the fact that he knows it and is making fun of it shows a cleverness and an intelligence that you have to be able to, to be able to have that 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 wittiness to do that. Not, you know what I'm saying? Not only does he know that, but in Wakanda's history, they're literally allowing that because one in one of the earlier scenes, we would say I think it's on BBC a report about Wakanda, and it's only seen as as we've seen in many farmers. cases, farmers, <laughs> a poor African nation. There's not many things there. Uh, we don't really have any information. I mean, how could they help anybody? Yeah. It's like, oh, poor. Another scene of just uh, like just the poverty of Africa. And they allow that to be. <laughs> they literally allow that. that to, they hide behind that in secret. And But there's literally, as we know, sitting on a literal mountain of vibranium. Yeah. But in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Wakanda is basically either Swaziland, Djibouti, or Madagascar. It's like just something you heard or know about if you paid attention to your geography but you're like i don't know what the hell they do there and um they're not producing anything so um so we have the scene then where romanda and nikita they're offering the heart-shaped herb to mbaku uh he shows his 
one of the reasons why he's not king. Um, he fiercely loves his people. That that cannot be denied. He loves his people, and he's willing to go ahead and protect his people. He is against the Afrofuturism. He is a tra- Afro-traditionalist. And he shows that in some of the level of sexism that he displays when he's basically, you know, has a beef with Shuri. Because she's this highly intelligent, young black girl that's, like, developing all of this tech. And he's, like, super against tech. And he's even more against the tech for the fact that she's the one that's designing it. And he lets her know when she's talking, like, shut up, girl. I happen to go ahead and be the person that rules in this area. So he displays that. But then he shows his kinder side. And T'Challa is alive. He's under snow. He was found at the bottom of the waterfall by a fisher person. And, you know, at that moment, M'Baku could have said, let me just go ahead and get this herb. I'll go ahead and let him die. But no, he understood the tradition, too, because he is a traditionalist. He understands that I don't care what tribe, what nation, what race that you are from. At the most general basic core of humanity, everyone understands a life for a life. And he saved, T'Challa saved his life by not taking his life earlier. So thus he knew he was indebted to the king of Wakanda, of the leader of the Black Panther cult, to go ahead and make sure that he was fine. It was the least he could do. It was the least he could do. So as a result, he does that. T'Challa ends up getting the uh, heart-shaped herb. He goes back once again into the astral plane um, and is ready to go ahead and rock. Comes back to life. Um, M'Baku is asked earlier, like, hey, can we go ahead and, like, get your army? Because he's got an army. And he's like, T'Challa, I bet you like that army. (laughs) But nah, player. I'm indebted to my people. Once again, if you're similar to these type of themes, if you watch Game of Thrones, it's very similar to some of the, uh, like, say, the um, John Aaron's folks in the Eerie, where it's just like, they're like, hey, we got this great fortress up here. Yeah, we got the Knights of the Vale, but the Vale ain't riding with you because we're all about the per- preservation, the protection of our own people. So, and they've also felt traditionally snubbed. Um, within even these tribes in Wakanda. So there oh, was yeah. that element. He also mentions there hasn't been a king up here in like hundreds of years. Yeah, hundreds yeah, of yeah, years. Yeah, not just snow, but just ignored altogether as uh, almost forgotten. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are they, they are the trouble. If, like, I've seen it on Instagram, you know, it's, dun, dun, like, does Wakanda have a ghetto? It's Jabari. <laughs> Jabari is the ghetto of Wakanda. <laughs> so that's, that's, that answers that question. Does Wakanda have a ghetto? It's the Jabari tribe. It's the Jabari area. And in fact, just going back a little bit, uh, I forgot to touch earlier, is the storyline of Killmonger. It was so interesting how they have done it with the fact that, okay, he's a member of the royal family. And that's because they ended up taking another member in the comic books of the Dora Milaje. Queen Divine Justice. We talked about her a little bit in the uh, third episode of the Wakanda Report. So it's like if you happen to go ahead and be, um, if you're a black woman and you're listening to this podcast, just know Queen Divine Justice is basically like if you watch this movie, you're like, oh, I wish I could be from Wakanda. I wish I could go to Wakanda. Queen Divine Justice is you. She is a black woman in America that was raised in America, but was a member of the Jabari tribe as a princess. And never knew it, but because her father, similar to 
uh, Njoku's father was removed from Wakanda due to helping Ulysses S. Claw inside the comics, they went ahead and they repatriate her and basically Killmonger tries to like use her and M'Baku tries to use her to go ahead and take over the throne. But they basically took her storyline of being this like person lost out in America and they gave it to Killmonger, which I thought was really cool. They, you know, were able to give this like female character there. So hopefully in the latter movies, they're able to go ahead and maybe bring Queen Divine Justice back into things. So uh, fast forwarding uh, through the uh, movie here, then we get basically the third act. We get the action, which it was hot and it was heavy. Uh, T'Challa, I wasn't even expecting that. When the ships were going out, I was expecting that, okay, there's going to have to be something that goes on or maybe this leads into the second movie. And boom, the ship goes down. And then all of a sudden we see the spot that we see from the Super Bowl trailer and stuff. And T'Challa's walking out and he's got arms open like, what'd it do? <laughs> what'd it do? Ready to challenge uh, Killmonger, who at this point is is readying all the weapons to be sent out um, to arm all the essentially war dogs, war the, dogs the CIA everywhere. agents throughout exactly. the world. And and also been they've just been showing more instances of him uh, his kind of his brutality against you know the his own subjects now he was choking auntie out yep you know because she didn't want to burn the herbs I was like bro you could have just got a little stern yeah just real quick before we jump into the third act I just wanted to just express how much I loved the first scene of Killmonger taking the throne because the camera is following him inverted. It's Mm, backwards and it's this like long um, push following him. And oh my God, it's just because it's, it's wrong. Like his approach is going to be wrong. Right. So like the, the view of him is wrong. Like it's just like, it's like an old school sort of cinema commentary on this character's position is wrong. Like literally like it's, he's, he's upside down in the frame. And, um, it's just, it's just, it's disturbing. It's gorgeous. And it's, Oh, it's just, it's really good. And then, um, sort of the, the, the speech that becomes the orders that lead, lead to the ships going out um, is, is, is real, it's very good stuff. Yeah. And, it's really good. And just like you said, how you said the, the, the position of the camera saying that that was wrong, and immediately after that, what does he talk about? Colonizing the rest of the world. Mm. And so that can also, to me, tie into that saying, you know, that idea of, of, of wanting, in essence, that much power and that much control over the world, in essence, yeah. is wrong. But but we don't always see it that way. Yeah, but I, I'll be honest. On the flip side of it, being where I've said from the start, I'm like, Killmonger's going to be the hero. I got to thinking, I was like, what's, I mean, I think what's wrong right. with his plan? Because <laughs> there's already a colonizer. It's it's, it's the United States of America, Britain, but that's my and point whatever. Is like, like, the, but what they, was wrong with Wakanda getting a chance but, to rule? But that's what I'm saying. But like, if they would have if had that idea of it being wrong from the beginning... We not we might not even need for Killmonger to have those views is what I'm saying. It's yeah. like the the whole idea of it being wrong from the just that that I thought was just another yeah. interesting view. And, and Okoye said it. She gave her opinion. She's like Wakanda has succeeded because we have been an isolationist nation. We've done all these things. But on the flip side, I was just thinking in my mind. But if your king, the one that you will want holding the throne, was still here, T'Challa already opening y'all up to not be an isolationist nation by the fact that he wants to gallivant around as a superhero. 
and people will start asking questions like, who the hell is all I mean, because Tony Stark put oh, himself yeah. out there. Right, like, they raise the that other, question in Civil War. They know all these things. They'll be like, who the heck is this Black Panther character? Yeah. And more information starts coming out. He was out here fighting in South Korea. Yeah, they got the say, camera yeah, phones scene, all exactly. out there. So he's putting himself completely out there to already expose the country anyways because he has a hard-on for being a superhero. And also, it's interesting, right, because Killmonger wants to put Wakanda on top. And, but it, sort of following along that exact theme, the, per, the person who is on top, the entity that is on top invites challenge. And that's how Wakanda maintained their strength for so long is they're not even playing the game by being so isolationist. They're, they're not even inserting themselves into the power dynamics of the rest of the world. And that, that, like, that is why Killmonger's position is a threat to Wakanda, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's, it's, it's really, it's really layered. And like how, how that message comes out, it comes out in a bunch of different ways. But, but as you said too, is the fact that they've been isolation, this nation is so long, they're not playing the game, but they get to see everybody else play the game and, and then make you make, make choices accordingly and say, okay, so they lost this way. So as in Shuri's case, okay, uh, they lost this way. Let me d- d- create a defense. So if they try to come at it this way, mm-hmm. we can defend against that. Oh, if they like to colonize uh, countries that uh, show high resources, let's keep that illusion that we don't have any resources. That will help keep it. You know what I'm saying? Like just playing that game as well from the vantage point of not even playing the game. <laughs> like, yeah, like you me, win by not playing. Let me, let me, let me roll down the windows and open up my glove box and leave my car. Like, you know, I, I, we don't have anything. Yeah. It's not exactly. there. Yeah. <laughs> you have the third act. Uh, it gets going. Killmonger is getting the ships. T'Challa shows up, and then we just have full-on battle. Um, we have Daniel Columba's um, tribe come through, and ooh, it's awesome with just like the level of like design they have. We see these rapas that they are wearing, um, and you know it's kind of a very like East African Maasai warrior type uh-huh, of like uh-huh. look to it. And they pull it out, and it happens to go ahead and be a shield. Um, and they're almost using the shield to the same degree that you would see if you saw in the movie 300, or you know, you've watched or understand military history with the phalanx and how they're going ahead and moving and pushing and stuff. So that's awesome. And then, uh, you have the Dormelage led by Okoye basically say, Hey. T'Challa's not dead yet, so the the trial never like stopped, and Killmonger's like, ah, we ain't doing that traditional stuff no more. Like, so now he's like shucking tradition, which gives Okoye the leeway to say, oh, you're trying to go ahead and attack Wakanda by not keeping with tradition. All right, ladies, let's get in formation. <laughs> let's try yes. to go ahead and take this dude Literally out. <laughs> and they almost do. If it wasn't for the fact that I thought, which was so cool, is the only thing that defeated the Dora Milaje from taking down Killmonger, taking down the rightful at the time king of Wakanda, was the fact that Shuri created a suit that was so powerful with charging up the kinetic energy that it was able to feel him. Just as they had basically stopped him and were about to go ahead and take the necklace off him, he charged up the kinetic energy. So it's like he was on the precipice of being defeated by women and then the only thing that saved him from that defeat was the technology created by a woman. So once again, just like the feminist that he didn't even respect that a woman that he didn't even uh, respect. Well, I don't know if he didn't respect. Well, 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 that was more w- so in Baku. Yeah, yeah, but he was also yeah. He just, he just wanted he just to kill her kill because her he was like, "Hey, what's up, cousin? I'm about to kill you." <laughs> you know, princess. Um, so 
that scene happens in your other die. What were you going to say there? Time and time again, we just um, see more examples of how powerful uh, these uh, warriors are. They're the strongest warriors. They move with the most grace. They ultimately have the best fight scenes out of it. And they show, again, th- um, throughout this, why they are the elite warriors that they are and why they have the respect from other tribes. Um, yeah, they just they just yeah. kind of exude that confidence, oh that God. discipline. Right when she runs up against her lover and he's like, really, my love, you yeah. you would kill me? And well, she says... she has so much confidence, she's able to go ahead and stop a war rhino in his tracks. It was a yeah. fucking war rhino! At full speed, it was full a, stampede war, mode. War rhinos came out of nowhere, which was a, a great shout-out to the fact that, historically, when the great power of Rome was being challenged and was challenging against Carthage, and Carthage was... The, uh, if you would understand anything about the Phoenicians, Carthage was the other ruling power that was basically butting heads against Rome, and it was ran by black people in northern Africa, and it was ran by, uh, after the king had died, his son, Hannibal. And Hannibal ran and took with him the elephant Elephants. armies and marched through the Alps and came down and took and sacked Rome. And if the only thing that allowed him to not basically change the whole scope of the way that we see the world as it is today was just the fact that he was happy with the battle that he had rather than preparing to go ahead and occupy and take over. And so when I saw those war elephants, that was the first thing that made me think of, which was, okay, Sooner or later, we're finally going to get, which if Black Panther was a movie that 1996, 1998-ish, they wanted to go ahead and create this, um, Denzel Washington and Danny Glover since the 80s have been trying to make a Hannibal film about the great Carthage general being a black man. Um, Vin Diesel tried multiple times when he was at his complete height um, after uh, Pitch Black and starting the series with Fast and the Furious. So when I saw those oh man to see those rhinoceroses come through i was like oh man that's like hannibal's elephant army and as you said okoye such a diva such a warrior whatever that she just stepped right in front of it stopped it in colt's track it went ahead and gave her a kiss all like oh hey what's up little mama hey hey ma (laughs) hey ma (laughs) like you know hey hey, dad told me to come over here (laughs) dad got me tripping out here he trying to get me to fight folks and stuff like oh and that leads that's right that's right before this this beautiful just like oh amazingly powerful stuff because he's she's her lover is like would you really my love would you kill me Mm. and uh and she says for wakanda without question and he thinks about it and he looks at them all he looks at the tribes warring among each other and he takes a knee to her to her that just oh, that killed me. That was everything. And and not only did he take a knee, but he took a knee, and it didn't seem like he didn't he didn't take a knee with a sign of of uh like real defeat, not defeat, but no it was shame. more it was yeah, it was, pride. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. That, I couldn't think he was, of the word. He was kneeling to exactly, her with pride. It was no shame, but with with pride and saying, you know what, you're right. Like at the end of the day, Wakanda is more than. The, the feelings that I had about my parents being killed and T'Challa not uh, um, not killing Claw or not bringing Claw back. It's more, we are destroying ourselves right now. And this is more than that. And like, you're my love. And we're, me and you are literally at war. Yeah. And, like, they're love, and they're a love from a distance. Remember, yeah, that's right, she's, she's a door melage. So she cannot take on, she cannot have a child. She cannot go ahead and be married to him. So what that showed me was she's a door melage. They are supposed to be princesses from all of the tribes to make sure that warring doesn't happen 
and tribalism does not destroy the country. So she is probably from his tribe. And when they were kids, when they were teens and stuff, they probably had relations and all those things. But then once she took the oath and was and was called upon to be a Dora Milaje, now their love is only through and at a distance. So I, I thought that was that was really interesting. Then uh, we get down to the vibranium mine, and we go ahead and have the good old John Wayne moment where we have Everett K. Ross down here using and asserting like uh, his Hollywood uh, being a white male and being like, I have to be involved in some type of way to go ahead <laughs> and try to save. And he's given the technology by Shuri to go ahead and pilot. And we learned something interesting about him. Ever K. Ross is an awesome pilot. He's supposed to be an awesome pilot. So he gets his like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, Darth Vader type skills on, starts Anakin piloting Skywalker Anakin Skywalker. Han Solo. Yeah, Han Solo out here. And um, he's shooting down ships and planes, and there's a ship right outside of the room that he is piloting, getting his, you know, PlayStation 4 gaming on. And he's just like, no, give me, you know, I'm down to 5% where I could go ahead and be killed. Let me get back online. Let me go ahead and finish this. And he's able to go ahead and take out the last ship to make sure that the vibranium weapons do not go ahead and end up with the watchdogs that are existing throughout the world to go ahead and carry out Killmonger's uh, plans. So then we go back down into the mines. Uh, T'Challa has a brilliant plan where he makes Shuri go ahead and utilize the amazing bullet train type of magnetic system that they have for transporting the vibranium throughout the mound that exists that is their natural, universal, one-of-a-kind resource. And as a result... The technology is pulling away the suits. We see the cool suits. We see that T'Challa has his suit and Killmonger has his suit that he stole from Shuri. And I wanted to just touch on that because now that reflecting on the movie, that when she explains how that system works, it kind of spells the defeat or not the defeat or the possible destruction of Wakanda to me. It, it, it foreshadows that. Yeah, there there is, which in the comic books... Uh, there is technology that like can basically like render vibranium not inert, basically. Yeah, like make it inert to where it just be just a damn rock. Um, and uh, there is plots that exist where at one point T'Challa actually leaves, and that's where Shuri ends up becoming the uh, Black Panther because the Wakandan dollar, basically all of vibranium, becomes non-existent, and there's nothing there. But then. I don't know about you all, but for me, vibranium was basically a euphemism for melanin and for the power of them just being black folks and being creative and all those things. To me, that's what vibranium is, because throughout the comics, when the vibranium's gone, Wakanda still exists that's because what I of mean. the people. Yeah. Right? And and they at one point, don't they even have a, a planet that is the Wakanda Empire? I think I read is that. The Black Panther has an intergalactic planet that he basically makes Wakanda, or another form of Wakanda. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what the Black Swan, like, that's on some stuff where, like, when we start getting into, like, super infinity stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah and he, like, takes over this planet because Wakanda needs a place to be now. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, so. yeah, just just on the topic of vibranium, I, I think it's, it's definitely, definitely been used in other ways because uh, there's a few things around it. It's something that all the Wakandans have access to. So that reinforces the, the theme of community and, and building 
and what mm-hmm. are we building in that nation state? And then also, um, it's kind of vibranium is like a play on vibration. And that's yeah. something that's like, if everyone is vibrating on the same frequency, you know, you're able to have, you know, kind of that unity, able to achieve a lot more. That's an and, awesome You know, point. trying to achieve things. So it's, it kind of touches in on, on all these things. You see, you just see it in all these ways. It's, and as you put again, it's like, even when the vibranium, the actual metal is gone, it's more than a metal. It's, it's like almost not necessarily magic, but it ha- it has that spiritual element that ties this whole nation together. I totally agree with that. You have any points about that, Alana? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the in the intro piece where we're sort of seeing the animated backstory between the five five tribes, I got the feeling that the word Wakanda was kind of an ancestral name for vibranium before, yeah, like a little bit. They kind of were touching on it a little bit, and then I like what you were just saying, Sterling. Um, I just called you Sterling Spencer. Oh my god, sorry. Um, Sterling K. Brown on the brain. <laughs> sorry, Spencer. Um, about talking about um, vibration because I noticed one of the one of the parts of the ritual of challenging the monarch is everyone's body pulsing in a rhythm together. Yeah. Um, and it, it's like it's not quite a dance. It's just it's just shy of being a dance, but it's like it's this communal time of literally vibrating on the same frequency it just kind of tied it all together and it's all all the tribes not just uh t'challa's family or t'challa's tribe it was all of the tribes doing it that's why what he said we need two weeks to get this together (laughs) (laughs) you know we we got to get back on rhythm so not on sues and the train makes their suits allow for uh uh makes them vulnerable to attack. Yeah, they disintegrate a little they bit. They disintegrate a little bit, and T'Challa is finally able to go ahead and best Killmonger to where he replies to him, that was an excellent move. Uh, that, was, that was an awesome idea. Um, then we get the beauty of the scene to where Killmonger talks about the fact that his father told him how beautiful Wakanda was, and as we know in the dream scenario, he talked about, you'll never see a sunset like you will see a sunset in Wakanda, and T'Challa gives him that honor to go ahead and bring him out, has him look at the sunset. Uh, It's absolutely gorgeous. They have their moment, and they talk, and then we get also another very pivotal and powerful line with inside it, because... um, Inside the comics, uh, Killmonger is resuscitated on multiple occasions, and uh, Wakanda is basically like the theme of the $6 million man. We have the technology. We can rebuild him. So um, because they have that, Shaw offers like, hey, you know, we, we could probably save you, bruh. Like, you know, and Killmonger's just like, and what? So you can go ahead and like lock me up? And he talks about message, you know. Yeah. So you exactly. So you so you can go ahead and lock me up. And he then lets him know he's just all like, you know, I want to go ahead and be buried out in the ocean, like my ancestors, because my ancestors realize that they rather go ahead and die fighting than go ahead and live in bondage. And I mean that. I cried. That 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 was the line that then to me tied everything together in the diaspora of if you're African, if you're Caribbean, if you are Afro Latino, if you are a black person living in Russia, Germany, like some of them may like that that tied everything together to where it's just like there is a common thread of rebellion amongst 
black folks in diaspora because that rebellion exists in the fact that you just want to be free in a society that basically constrains. And yeah, that again, that, that scene, that line was, it was, it was very touching. It was very sad. And it culminated a moment between these two, as we said before, they have good intentions, each of them individually for their people, but they have way different ways of going about it. And the respect factor that T'Challa had to even just the mention of that for him to say, you know what, bro, I'm a, I'm going to bring you out to the sunset. You are going to see this. And as you said, just the respect of as well as like, we can save you. Um, I, I want to, you know, like, because again, some of that still ties into the fact that I think T'Challa still felt guilty about what his dad did. And yes. that, that, that he, that he has to take part. He has to take um some accountability for Man, that would have been his cousin. And, 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 and when you're and after just, him, that, that's, that's and, basically, he doesn't have a brother. T'Challa doesn't, have, that would have been his brother. Exactly. That just, that, just that tie of, of again, unity, communalism. I just thought was, it was very touching and, and, and it was, it was sad. And it was like, man, like you just, it, it, it resonated. Because you know deeply. what? In T'Challa's mind, in, in T'Challa's mind, I know the way he's thinking. He could have been the Black Panther. That's what T'Challa wants to be. He wants to be the Black Panther. He likes being the John Wayne. He likes being the hero. And had he had a person like Killmonger and Joku grow up and be his cousin, be his brother, and all those type of things, maybe it could have been to where T'Challa's all about change and forward movement anyways. He would have been like, maybe there could be two rulers in Wakanda. I'll be the ruler abroad because that's the way that I want to be, and you'll be the ruler here. And, you know, and, and so it's like, I, I, I felt that's like kind of how the way that he saw it. What do you think about it, Lena? I was on the, uh, another reason that the line punched me in the face about burying me, bury me in the ocean is because he says, like my ancestors, because he, being African American, has a slavery story that T'Challa doesn't have because Wakanda is in isolation and it was never had that experience. The white people never came to pillage them because they didn't, you know what I mean? It was just, mm-hmm. so he says, my, not our, not our ancestors, my ancestors, like still like right there, like they're still separated. Like the, the crime of their separation exists right up until the moment of his death. And it's all a result of America's original sin. Uh, yes. So, and then that, again, I think that's why that that tie was so it resonated so deeply because again, you can feel that the that idea of like I don't want to be in bondage, and even 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 tying it back to Oakland, like there's cats that get arrested for things that are that that got arrested that been in jail that have felonies on their accounts for things that are legal now. You know what I'm saying? And and that people that aren't of their skin color are being are making profit and being very profitable as a result of it. And they still have a record that could that that's barring them and putting barriers against them. It's just that whole idea of like that again, back to that idea of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was very touching. Yeah. So as we wrap it up here, uh, we get a scene um, at the end with uh, T'Challa once again being the king. We then move on with uh, T'Challa and Nikita in love sharing a kiss, sharing their moment inside of the market with him basically asking her to be the queen at his side, which, you know, with that said, if you go ahead and uh, you check out uh, 
my Instagram page. I have a story uh, on my Medium, which talks about the post-credit scene that we should have gotten with now the merger that has existed between Disney and uh, 20th Century Fox. So that means the X-Men are going to start being in play. And if you don't know, T'Challa is, at one point, he was married to Storm. And they have been lovers since they were teens. So with Nikita uh, and this romance existing, it makes me think, I'm like, maybe when Storm gets involved, that's what makes Nikita like go off the rails. And then Lupita Nyong gets to play this great villain. I don't know. We'll have to see. That's something that will be bubbling probably over the next like eight years. Uh, as we know, Marvel likes to take their time. So, uh, we get post-credit scenes, and the first post-credit scene is kind of a throwaway. It's something that I thought was going to be in the start of the movie, because you have him addressing the UN, and um, I forget the name. Uh, if you look on uh, the sonicbreakdown.com, we have the article about uh, what are you wearing to Wakanda Premiere with like five type of uh, African-inspired clothing stores that you can support. And uh, in that article, I talk about the uh, person that's kind of behind a lot of the looks and the designs, not only of the movie, the uh, young woman that's a part of that, but also the uh, young man that happens to be the person that has created a lot of this like clothing. So I noticed that's one of his pieces that T'Challa is wearing. He's wearing the all black and then he has like a piece, a uh, beautiful tapestry of colors and stuff that's going over his shoulder. And he's talking to the young where he basically says, hey, Wakanda is going to be out of the shadows. We are now going to be at the forefront. We're going to go ahead and do these things. Uh, and it was hilarious because then you just have some random guy just all like, hey, what are a bunch of farmers going to go ahead and do? Which harkens to the comment uh, which we talked about in the theaters about the fact that it's like Trump just basically saying, hey, look at these shithole countries. Like, what are you guys about to go ahead and do? You're, you're Wakandans. Like, you guys are goat hoarders. Like, what, what are you going to do and help us out with? So that's kind of cool that we now realize, though, the main thing that I think that served a purpose for is Wakanda is not completely out in the open. Ever K. Ross has not completely sold them out yet, but I kind of feel like it's coming at some point. Um, and then we get scene number two, which is Infinity War likes type stuff. We've got Bucky Barnes showing back up. The kids are there. They're playing with him. They ain't seen a white guy before in their life. They're just like, you know, they're like, oh, a white person. It's just like a black person walking through uh, Asia, as I've heard. I've had friends constantly that go through China, and they're like, Chinese people just want to touch them. They think they're chocolate and stuff's just going to come off of them. It's awful. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, that's, that's basically what it seemed like it was going on. The kids are out here messing with Sergeant Barnes, trying to figure out what's going on with him. He's missing an arm um and the white wolf and the white wolf sure he talks about he's the white wolf and if anybody understands the comics the white wolf is pretty much the leader he's actually like the adopted half brother um of t'challa he's just an adopted brother of t'challa and he's the leader of the watchdogs but 
T'Challa had a choice to make when he became king, especially in the comics, was he actually reinstated the Dora Milaje. The watchdogs are the ones that basically kept him safe and did all those things. But then when he reinstated the Dora Milaje, watchdogs were kind of upset. But of course, they weren't trying to cause no coup or no type of trouble like that. Instead, they're just like, well, give us our wings, let's be free. And then they went off into the world and they do covert missions and all those things. So it's interesting. I don't know by them naming Bucky Barnes, the White Wolf, is he about to be maybe a villain in movie two or movie three? Or, you know, are they just basically setting it up like, hey, he's going to be awesome. Uh, So what are your thoughts on that? And the last thing I would say about that, too, and my thoughts are also, I don't believe we found out yet where the Soul Stone is. Something tells me that if we got black folks and we got a black nation in a black movie, uh, part of Marvel, the Soul Stone would be in Wakanda. So some tells me that's the reason why we see in the previews for Infinity Wars. I'm I'm saddened because I just have a feeling that Thanos is about to just absolutely destroy Wakanda. Like he's probably going to destroy the vibranium mine. He might be there for vibranium, but something tells me that the Soul Stone is there, and that's why he's there. Uh, one of the things that right at the end of the film that that really resonated too is. After um, we they leave Wakanda, we're back in Oakland, and there is a I feel like another pivotal scene uh, between T'Challa and Shuri as they're talking, um, and it it comes to really about a story of redemption of how he he takes her directly back to uh, where uh, his uncle was killed, the apartment, and just looking at it, and she she comments like, "Oh, it's run down. They're gonna tear it down," and he says, "No, they're not, um, because I bought this building, and I bought." this other building over here and i bought this building and oh, oh the he- hotel brothers love that scene oh uh, you know. buy back the block yeah, i mean hey that was <laughs> I, that's really what it's about yeah. you can't buy hey, back the block that was a con- and I, I i'm pretty sure cougar put that in there as a commentary <laughs> on gentrification and essentially because there's been plenty of people black folks in particular that have been displaced um, in Oakland, in a lot of these places. So. I need to find an apartment by the summertime. I would love to live in a Wakandan high-rise. Something tells <laughs> me the rent is quite nice. I believe it. <laughs> and then everything is just turned on by vibranium, so it makes it easier. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So, But, yeah, that, that scene alone, I just thought that was – it was just like kind of like another nod and, you know, essentially Lincoln just, you know, uh, Cougar kind of tipping his hat at like, oh, I'm also really going to touch on – you know, kind of displacement issues in Oakland, and you know, this is this is my way of doing it and showing like there is I another way that I can show that I'm reinstating hope and bringing mm. hope, particularly back to my city, Oakland. You know, so that's that's kind of what I got from that one. I really, really, really enjoyed the movie. First of all, I thought it was an excellent movie. Uh, to me, it is. Uh, it's number one right now. Uh, X Men First Class is number two used to be number one um i just feel like uh they capture the relationships between the protagonist and the antagonist so well the social commentary uh the real world implications again that's the thing that made first class stand out to me is it felt real it felt you can apply it to situations again we talked about it on this podcast uh, colonialism uh the philosophies of separatism first integration um just all of those things that that as black men we can, we have experienced or black people or just people in general uh, living in America versus not living in America, just a human experience of feeling uh, belonged and, and wanted and unity. Um, 
I just felt like this captured all of those so wonderfully and was still unapologetically black. It still celebrated being black without saying just because I'm celebrating being black, I'm not degrading or denigrating any other culture. I'm just celebrating minds. Uh, and, and that's fine. And it's fine to have that pride and it's fine to, uh, and I thought that provided that as well as it provided a sense of, uh, of hope, like I said before, um, uh, uh, hope of where we can attain, um, hopefully, um, as well as just the hope of, in, in, in so many aspects, even the hope of what Hollywood's changing to, of the industry changing to, because that, you know, this is showing black movies can be successful overseas in, uh, in the United States when a, a black cast, a black director, a black writer, all of these things, they see changing in that arena. Um, I just felt it encompassed so many aspects that uh, I'm just happy that I don't have any children, but if I have children, they can watch movies like this because I know there will be more following this, that they can see this and say an experience that I didn't have. We did have superhero movies, but as a kid, I never felt the story was as compelling and as real that if I was a kid today, I can watch it and be like, you know, I can, I, I see somebody I can relate to. I see something I, that, that makes me feel happy to, and proud to be black. And so I just want to thank Ryan Coogler, uh, Chadwick Bozeman, Michael B. Jordan, the entire cast, the crew, for a wonderful job I think they did. Um, so that's what I took from this movie, and and especially the last scene, um, including the, uh, the, uh, of the hopefulness of not just bringing hope to Wakanda, but bringing hope to the whole, entire diaspora. It's been a pleasure. This is the wrap-up for the Wakandan five-part series that we've done. It's been a long journey coming through. Um, I hope that people will allow this to be a starting point and not an ending point there will be new comics that come out visit comic shops visit these these writers and supporters roxanne gay had a series that started before uh there are black writers that need help uh building their base so go out and support them by supporting um the black panther series Right now, myself, I feel pretty good because outside of Fantastic Four number 52, I have three of the most 10 rare comics of the Black Panther. So right now, I think in about five years, my comics will be worth more than Bitcoins. So uh, <laughs> sorry for those that decided to get in on Bitcoins late. Yeah, done goofed. But um, it's been awesome. Just being someone who is in the white audience for this film, like I'm, I'm just so glad I saw it. I think it was, I think it was everything a film can be. I think it was education. I think it was art, and I, I do have children. I have, um, and I had them with a, a white guy, so I have white children, and um, I'm so glad that this film is going to be something that my children and especially my son can see. Um, I try to, I try to give him as much media as possible. I, I have him on that Doc McStuffins. I have him on that Dora Explorer because he's got to see that there's people besides white men that do important things in this world. And I love that the my favorite thing about the film is that most of the time, if I'm truly honest with, my, with myself, I think that black people are living in a white world and then seeing a world where it was, oh, seeing a black world blew my mind. And mm. I'm just so glad I got to see it. What about you, Spence? Uh just going back, it's funny. I actually wrote about this um, for uh, for my did a wrote a column about it. Uh, I thought the film overall was magnificent because 
it just it just touched on so many things um, that that we've spoken about from the African versus say African American dynamic to anti uh, colonialism to white supremacy uh, to like nationalism, um, really touching in identity in what felt like a real genuine and authentic way and being able to weave in both uh, kind of stories, parallel stories, the idea of the essentially like the prodigal son or the lost son Mm -hmm. coming home back to Africa um, or coming back specific to Wakanda. Like it was, it it was really powerful. It kind of, I I need to go watch it again because I know there's going to be more things that I just pick up on. I'm planning to go back and it just, yeah, I, even after I watched it, I was just like kind of like on a high about it because I was still processing all of these elements that were incorporated in the film. It was, it was like having like a very rich meal. And instead of just going, okay, well, I'm full. You're like, it's like, oh, I got to like take a break. I got to sit let down. Me digest, I, let me digest. Let me digest. And that's really what I'm doing. I'm just unpacking this film. And I was just, you know, just incredibly appreciative that, you know, we were able to uh, even be, just be a part of this and talk about it and really just kind of break down all the, the different levels and layers of, of this film and, and why it's uh, like a, a cultural landmark in, in black cinema right now and not just a superhero film, but, but kind of reaching all these other avenues. So I, it's, I thought it's, it was awesome. It's the millennial roots, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, with closing in on this series, I would just like to say that if you enjoyed the content, be tuned here on the Sonic Breakdown Network. Uh, we'll probably be having some new podcasts that will be popping up uh, that will go along with the Stay Woke podcast. You'll still be able to go ahead and listen to Stay Woke podcast, get your information when it comes to music, culture, art, and all that good jazz but we will definitely have a season two. It may not be exactly of the Wakanda report, but it will be under the name. We will be reviewing the Luke Cage uh, season two. We'll possibly be reviewing Black Lightning and other uh, superhero stories that exist within the diaspora and being able to go ahead and talk about those points. Those things will be happening here this spring and this summer here on the Sonic Breakdown Network. So as I leave you in closing... This is the Stay Woke Podcast. This is Cousin Benji. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram. And it has been a pleasure. Wakanda forever. Forever.